Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. Guest in the A Game Podcast and my buddy Travis Hill. He is a United States Marine, a full-time real estate investor, and a brown belt slash instructor at Gracie Barre in San Clemente. So checks again all the boxes for our show. Good solid guy. I met him at Bill Allen's event. He's a friend of David Parise and Adam Whitney's. Uh just a, a good dude. You know, uh he's we talk a lot about uh his investing. He's been through so much from making tons of money at an early age, being on multiple tours around the world losing everything in the market recession and having to make it all back going through cancer stage three like all kinds of things man he's just got such an incredible story and uh just goes to show you again you meet people you have no idea what they've been through and then you meet people and you get to see what people are actually capable of so i very much uh, appreciate travis coming on I, I messed up his schedule a little bit and i had to chop this in two and uh he was just so easy to work with could not have been cooler about some of the weird schedule stuff. And uh, I thought he did an amazing job just sharing his experiences and giving some really great advice and some really good information on people starting out, uh, people that are you know maybe not familiar with what happens during recession. He gave some tips on multifamily investing when the market starts to turn like it is now. We talked about jujitsu structure, community, mindset, overcoming obstacles. He gives a really great analogy about feeding two dogs that I'm going to use for the rest of my life and uh, just tons of other stuff. So whether you're into jujitsu, you're into to surfing, you're into uh, real estate, you're into business, you're into mindset, you're just into funding, lending, finances, just getting more out of life as general, or you just want to hear a cool person tell a really amazing story. This is a great episode for you for many different reasons. So hope you guys enjoy it. As always, this is sponsored you by Naked Warrior Recovery CBD. Go to nakednick.com slash links to see all of our sponsors. Promo code AGAME to get 20% off. William Brannon's amazing product. Also, while you're there, check out Reba Global if you're looking for a virtual assistant. Zachary Babcock's course, if you're looking to get into a park podcast or scale your podcast. And again, if you're looking for lending, you can always find Nationwide Business Capital Group. Tell them the A-Game podcast sent you. While you're at nicknick.com slash links, you'll see all the ways to connect with me and connect with this podcast. We are literally available everywhere. You can get your podcast as well as YouTube. So I would greatly appreciate it. If you have not, please subscribe so we can get more traction and more great people like Travis coming on. And please follow us on all social media. I am literally on everything and post clips from this episode and all the others. And the way more guests will come on for free and share their experiences for you guys and give all kinds of great life and real estate and business tips is by you liking, sharing, and commenting, even the little amount, like a little fist bump or a thumbs up or something on some of these comments or these clips that I post really goes a long way. So please, that's how you can pay your tuition for the show that we have 200 plus episodes of now. And also I would love to do some real estate together. So if you are looking to do real estate, whether it's your first deal, or your next deal, residential, commercial, multifamily land, whatever it is, let's have a conversation about how we can work together. Whether I buy properties from you, you buy properties from me, or we find a way to collaborate and partner up on your first deal, or your next deal, text me directly. 516-540-5733 is the absolute best way to get a hold of me. 516-540-5733. And if you're looking for a free checklist on way to bring more value to your buyers as a real estate investor, wholesaler, or broker, or agent, go to nicknicknick.com slash biggerpockets. 
Thank you very much, Travis, for coming on. You, sir, are a stud. I appreciate you sharing your story and I appreciate everybody listening. Have a great Monday, A-Game Podcast. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast, fighting out of California by way of Arizona, real estate investor for well over a decade, active duty Marine for over 18 years. Thank you for your service, sir. We'll cover that for sure. He is well-versed in single-family residential, multifamily, short-term rentals, syndication, land deals, land developing, private money lending, and so much more if that wasn't enough. He is a jujitsu brown belt. So you can see while we have him on the podcast, he also is a frequent instructor at Gracie Baja in San Clemente, if I said that correctly. He is an expert on mindset. He likes to unplug by surfing. He is a cancer survivor, a model American, and most importantly, my guest today on the A-Game podcast. So thank you so much, sir, for being here. It is great to see you again. Give it up for Mr. Travis Hill. Thank you, man. I am truly humbled to be here. And uh, that is, that's an intro. I might need to record that just so I can listen to it before I go to bed at night. Wow. <laughs> and, it, and it's only, uh, you know, it's a, it's a synopsis of a resume. So if people hear that and they go, man, that's an impressive 30 seconds. Like each one of those things that you put over a decade into, you know, that's, that's why I like talking to guys like you, because it's, you know, people see the highlights, but what I like to dig into is like, what really got there like it's like such a weird thing but somebody was just talking about the the tiktok videos where the guy will like make some crazy ping pong shot or set something or he hits it and then he's like oh my god it's like it was probably months of him just keeping that recording going and just missing 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 but people see the one you know so i feel like you embody all of that of just hard work and dedication and discipline and a positive optimistic resilient mindset to get those accolades and those attributions so for people who don't 100% know you, uh, go a little bit into your background, who you are, where you came from through today. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, started investing, grew up in Mesa, Arizona, uh, went to college on a rodeo scholarship, believe it or not, and um, which is fantastic. And then started investing in early 2000. After college, followed my fiance, now wife, to Las Vegas. And she worked for Victoria's Secret, being the regional manager over there. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. At least, uh, you know, always good to go see my wife at Victoria's Secret. <laughs> and um, she started, she transferred from that into being a loan officer. And she's like, hey, you should probably get into this, this uh, real estate thing. All right, cool. And her mom grew up with uh, apartment buildings and rental incomes and things of that nature. So in Vegas, everything's tracks homes, right? It's all communities over there. And we were in Southern Highlands. And so I would buy the, buy the second biggest house in phase one, house hack it before that was a thing, you know, again, it's early 2000s. And uh, every phase release, they'd go up 10, 12, whatever the, the amount was, right? So I would just wait till phase six or phase seven, cash out refi, put the, you know, rent out that entire house and then just go in and do it again. And so I repeated this over and over and I'm 25 and I'm like, man, this is it. I am fantastic. I'm going to be 50 and this is going to be paid off and it's going to be wonderful. 9 uh, 11 happened. Decided I would join the Marine Corps. And uh, although I had my degree, the recruiter convinced me that I needed to go enlisted. So I'm like, this person doesn't know. So uh, I enlisted, served uh, four tours, two in Iraq, two in Afghanistan. And during that time, of course, recession happens, right? And so by 2011, my wife and I are living in North Carolina back from my third deployment, getting ready to move to the West Coast. And um, I'm sorry, this is 2010. And we are about $4,000 a month in the hole. Now going from $150,000 a year to $19,000 a year, you know, after joining the Marine Corps, it's a, it's a shock 
you know, you get really good at uh, washing your own car and ironing your own pants at that point. So we short sold all those properties and then kind of took a little hiatus until 2018, which we started, you know, and, and we just kind of like saved and did the Dave Ramsey thing and just scrimped and being like, man, we really, like we, we just lost it. Like that was a horrible, it sucked. And I know that there's people that had lost far more than we did. Um, and it started again in 2018 with some single family homes in Milwaukee, thanks to some other active duty guys. And then that transitioned into some multifamily in Cleveland, which then transferred into syndications, was then transferred into short-term rentals, was then transferred into land in Arizona, which then transferred into, into private lending. And, uh, you know, here we are now. So passively and active at 126 units, um, GP with two fantastic brothers, Chris and Action Leverick with Valkyrie Investment Group. And uh, just really my goal, I've got about probably four or five years left in the Marine Corps. My goal is not to have a W-2 job and I retire. And to be able to use my superpower of connecting to, to continue to bring people and deals together and have them be successful. Dude, that is a very, very impressive and very relatable story, probably for many people as well as myself and that entire thing. Thank you again very much for your service, for the tours and for the, the time that you put in and served. Uh, you know, again, some of the best people I've met in my entire life come from the military and especially from the Marine Corps. So it does not surprise me at all that you are successful and resilient. And, you know, David Perret, shout out to him, freaking awesome guy, introduced us and right away was like, you're going to get along with this guy. I definitely see why now if you're hearing <laughs> that. So, uh, thank you for sharing that, man. And, uh, you know, I hearing your story with the stuff that just, you know, 9-11, just changing your path in life is exactly what happened to me. And then going into Vegas and thinking this is it. And then just getting a wake up call and getting slapped across the face and not even really knowing what happened was Definitely something I can relate to, but what I have found that I think is a very interesting topic here is so many people that I started getting back into when, you know, 2012, 2013, things start to pick up, you start getting back into it. And I met a lot of like realtors and property managers and mortgage brokers. And it's, Hey, I used to do what you used to do, but I lost X, Y, and Z and my wife will never let me do it again. So two things I would like to talk about is one, how you got your confidence back up to go do that again. And I think it's amazing that you have a supportive spouse that was willing to let you do that again, because I do hear sometimes, whether it's the husband or the wife of like, Hey, I messed some things up. I learned some lessons. I feel like I can do this better. And then it's just kind of like, Hey, you're going to get a divorce or I'm going to kill you if you do that. again. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, my, I married up way up. <laughs> so I'm super grateful for that. Um, you know, she, she's a college ed educated woman and uh, you know, we've got four kids at home and, and we made the decision that uh, she was going to be a, a stay-at-home mom. And I don't, you know, I'm so grateful for that. And uh, she knew, you know, like we're both passionate people that want to make our communities and our lives and our child's lives. We want our communities to be awesome. And we also want our children's lives to be better versions of ours, right, of us. And so we just like, hey, we, we had something. It all went away but we know how to be smarter about it. We know how to look at indicators. We know, you know, I tell people when I share the story of losing everything, I'm like, I was, we were so focused on the ants climbing on the bark of our trees. We didn't see the forest fire. And so now through that experience of losing everything, right. We were like, Oh, you can look at the bond yield. It's okay to watch C-SPAN and it's, you know, look at the economic reports to see what the fed is saying. And, you know, like these are things that you can look at to help educate yourself. And with technology, the way it is, Oh my gosh, you, it's so easy, almost to the point of 
you know, info by fire hose that it's so easy. So we're much smarter, we're more, more calculated in our, in our numbers, we're more um, diligent in our underwriting and our network, because we're all, we are out of state investors, you know, our relationships are so huge, so important. And it, the network of just networking, of, of finding those property managers, the lenders, the agents, the, um, you know, it, it's so important. So, I mean, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to say we are anywhere close to what we have now without the network, 100%. It's, it's an interesting point because I agree. Even I was having a conversation recently when we were doing that back in 2005, 2006, 2007, I was investing remotely by necessity because I could not afford to invest in my market. So I had to find these ways to do stuff, but there wasn't Google, even the Google Maps, which I think Bing or like Yahoo, like it wasn't even the big thing, yeah. but I would go to some of these areas like Kansas City or Indiana or some of these places in Georgia and there wasn't, it was like, hey, the car hasn't been here yet. There's no land maps, there's no parcel maps. Like you couldn't see anything. So having the resources people have today and being able to go to somebody, even just like this last pandemic when I was like, I, I got a little bit of, um, you know, that PTSD comes back of, something's happening. Let me be educated this time about it. And then I realized that everybody's just guessing. Nobody has any idea, you know, and you just got to kind of be smart and make some of your own things. But what I did see was that there was all these different groups and people you could go on the communities like Bill Allen, like the war room that David Perret has, that wasn't a thing before. Like there yeah. wasn't these communities of people that would all kind of get together and even admit, which I think says a lot about the people you surround yourself with, because there's still the groups, you know, I saw it like, there was a, a, an immediate divide on some of the, the conversations and the masterminds I got on right when the pandemic happened. And half of them were like, here's 10 of our top investors or 10 of like my top competitors in my market. We're all on because we're all going to figure this out together. And then there was the other ones that were like, I've been waiting for this. I have the key for $99 a month for $10,000. And I was like, oh, like, psh, psh, like, and it, some of it took it as an opportunity to gauge people. And I was like, you don't know, like you yeah. You don't have a crystal ball. Nobody knew there was a pandemic. So um, a long story to go there that I think who you surround yourself with and having people that are giving some humility and just the difference of like the, the guru, so to speak, being honest about what's going on and collaborating on it. You type that with the technology, man. It's it's really yours to lose. Complete, 100%. And you look at it from a leadership standpoint, because you know that you talk about the gurus. Well, they're trying to be leaders. They're trying to lead their product. They're trying to lead their team, like whatever it is, their tribe you know, they're mastermind and they're trying to get financial benefit from that, which, hey, profit's not a dirty word. I got it. But one of the key aspects of leadership is when you think you have, you know, when you think, you know, you don't listen, as my dad used to say. And I, as a leader of Marines, hey, PFC, you're an E1. Um, I don't know. That's a great question. I don't know. And somebody could look at that and be like, well, that's weak. That's a horrible leadership. You should know everything. I'm like, dude, I no way. If I profess to know everything, I have a serious ego problem. Like I, I'm walking around. And it, the thing is, is that the bigger your ego, the more transparent that ego is. And then you talk about respect, you talk about leading, you talk about command presence, like all that stuff goes by the wayside because like, oh yeah, I have all the answers. Join my club. Well, you don't have all the answers and that's okay. It's okay not to have the answers. I'm not required as a chief warrant officer three, I'm a subject matter expert to my battalion commander for engineer operations and maintenance. At no time to be like, sir, I know this. That's a great question, sir. I can find out. And as long as I know where to go with the answers, then the whole world is mine. Everybody, autonomy, hierarchy of leadership. If you know where to get the answers, you can become autonomous and have all the time freedom that you want. You just hit on 
one of my biggest pet peeves in life. I bring it up all the time. There's so many confident people giving very confident answers and they have no idea. But rather than say, give me a minute, let me check. They go, it's this. Yeah. And I, I always use the example. I go, what do you call the guy who graduated last to medical school? Still called doctor. You know, one guy aced it. One guy was the bottom of the class. There's a difference between which one I want operating on me. Yeah. And even like people think you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a, you know, a realtor, you're a mortgage broker, whatever it is that you have a people's best interest or you know what you're talking about. And I found out more than ever, like into a dangerous point, like even stuff with like a surgeon that just gave a diagnosis to my dog. And I was like, just from years of like learning that and going through things and realizing like, I tried this both ways. Like this person is very confident, but they're very wrong and they won't even budge on that. This is not my person. Like I, I can never trust their opinion again because they didn't give me their honest, like it's not benefiting me. They're there for them. So I think in leadership, you just nailed it. Like anybody that's not, how could you possibly know everything? How? It's impossible. Literally. It's impossible. Yeah. You know? And plus, why mess yourself? Why, why would you want to mess with that burden of trying to know everything? Like, goodness gracious. If I did, I'd never come home. <laughs> another weekend at work. So I got to get these four chapters done in uh, Marine Corps tactics. No, man. Like, no. Yeah. Way too much. You look Way at masterminds much. and the stuff that you guys are doing right now, it's built up of a room that are all alpha high high freaking players like legit people and they're all confident enough to know that they could be multimillionaires and leaders but all open-minded enough to know that they don't know it all otherwise nobody would have masterminds you know what i mean because none of the people would show up and i think the misconception is people think masterminds and it's like well it's a bunch of new people learning from like no like seven figure flipping how many how many successful investors were in that room the war room how many successful people are like jujitsu it's it's not one black belt that and everybody else is a white belt it's a collaboration and i feel like that is like the biggest difference for success. But starting out, people think the thing that they're supposed to do is walk in and be like, I got it. And I talk to people that have never done a real estate deal and they come in very cocky, like, I just need this one thing and now I'm off and running. I'm like, dude, you walk into Mark Evans' mastermind and you tell him that you got this because you watched the YouTube video. Like, you think that those people are gonna respect you? They're gonna, they're not gonna wanna deal with you. They're not gonna wanna yeah, talk to you. It's, it's yeah, the guy done. who walks into jujitsu and goes, I had 400 street fights. I wanna be a UFC champion, but it's never trained a freaking day in their life, dude, you know? Yeah. 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 That's totally true. I think there's so many parallels to that with leadership and then, you know, jujitsu and, you know, like I, I love the fact that I get to do jujitsu surrounded by a bunch of 20 something guys that are cock diesel and just want to go, you know, everybody's uncle Rico at the state championships every time they get on the mat. Right. You're like, <laughs> All right. And, and as, and as up as colored belts, tapping sucks. Right. But tapping is what it is. And, and as me, as an older guy going to get somebody half my age, tapping's, tapping is okay. Tapping is totally fine so that you can continue to be like, get better and get better. And like, I had a guy at a white belt, the guy's like 215. The guy just bench pressed me. I'm like, all right, I got side control. I got hip control. I'm moving up to get into like, I'm going to, I'm going to shuck the inside elbow and get my arm, my knee up in his armpit, shoulder adjust this. It's going to be awesome. And he just goes, whoop, and just move me over. And I'm like, all right, that did not go well. <laughs> <laughs> for, for people who can't see, you're you're a big dude too. It's not like you're me and they're bench pressing you like that's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the thing and stuff. You're not a small yeah, guy. It's, it's like, oh, all right, well, that's fine. But it's that's you know, I can get pissed off and be like, oh man, and take it to the white belt. And then what does he get to learn? And what am I doing? I'm succumbing to my inability to control myself, which is the very essence of jujitsu failing, right? I'm not learning anything if I'm a brown belt getting pissed. No, you're right, man. But I always look at it because I find a lot of guys that get into, you're a little bit of the anomaly here because most guys 
are like already jujitsu or MMA guys or athletes, and then they get into real estate and they're using those principles to help them. But I didn't really, I had kind of started around the same time I started doing real estate, but do you, how did you handle all the loss and the stuff like that, that, ha that happened when the market crashed last time? And do you think you would have been able to handle or adjust to that any differently now that you do have this background in jujitsu and martial arts to kind of stay calm and, and surf, so to speak, through the murky waters? Um, let's see. I was introduced to jujitsu in 2005. And um, my lieutenant, my platoon commander was like doing some amateur fights. And uh, I think it's, I think he trains out in Virginia. <clears throat> Excuse me. Brandon Cooley is, uh, I think, at Island Boys Jiu-Jitsu, I think, or Kona Jiu-Jitsu. Kona, I think, in, um, in uh, Virginia, near, near Marine Corps base, close to, to all of that. And I remember he'd be like, okay, this is a technique. All right, ready to spar? And we would roll for 10 minutes. And I, every time I do the technique, he's like, oh, that's not good. And then he would like just, he would just beat me the entire time, the whole 45 <laughs> minutes. So my white belt experience was all defense. Like I had no clue how to attack because I was too busy having to like beat this guy who was a purple belt and like get destroyed. And he's my same size. So it was just like miserable. Um, then went, you know, so went through all that. But I think that losing everything, and then staying, like going to my parents and saying, hey, I'm gonna, we're going to do this again. And they're like, but you lost everything. And I'm like, yeah, but if I lost this, I can then make two or three, four times, 10 times that, right? That's how all of that works. So um, jujitsu, if I didn't have jujitsu and I just had like additional, a traditional martial arts background, I don't think I would have survived. I really don't. I think that jujitsu opened my eyes up to so much more about my capability and every single human's capability. So did you think that the, that mindset, is that kind of something that you have always had as far as being able to just be tenacious and go after those and take calculated risks? Because I would imagine with the stuff you're doing, like when I look back at what I did different then versus now is before it was investing in real estate and now it's run more like a business. Whereas I feel, again, athletes and especially military guys, they learn structure and they learn systems. And I feel like that is a huge difference between, I, I always use the analogy, it's very easy to get into real estate. It's not very easy to stay in real estate. And the difference between the two of the guys that know how to create systems and run their real estate like a business. And I feel like that's what you're doing. Is that something that's come from just you and working with your wife and lessons you've learned and studies you've had? Or is that something that was passed on through just the structure of the Marine Corps? Oh, definitely both. Um, you know, well, the Marine Corps teaches, and I would say, I'm going to go with all branches, but the Marine Corps teaches you how to find the critical path. And when you find the critical path, uh, you don't need to worry about emotion. You don't need to worry about getting wrapped up in it because you're like, oh, that's what I got to do. Right. And then you go and you accomplish the mission through the critical path. Um, when I was diagnosed with cancer and we're going through all of that stuff, right having relying upon that critical path method and, and sorting through all the BS to find where that critical path is, is like, Hey, how can I get back to the fleet? How can I have the quickest recovery? Where does my mind need to be to set that up? How can I make sure that I'm setting the right example, not only as a Marine officer, but as a husband and a father. So I'm not like, you know, letting all of that depression, because when you get cancer, you dig that, that, uh, you dig that hole, you don't dig it with a shovel, you dig it with an excavator and it happens like depression and all that stuff. It happens so fast if you choose to let it. And so 
that's when I started like, wow, it's really about mindset. It's about mindfulness. And then you start, the more you train about jujitsu, you start figuring out like, oh, when I step on the mat, everything falls away. And now I'm empty minded. I know what my little pinky toe is doing. And I know, I know where my head position should be over on this back side of my head. Right. And so that I'm completely empty minded, but I'm completely focused on everything my body's doing. And so you're like, oh, wow. And so you're putting those puzzle pieces together. Um, so it's just a conglomerate of jujitsu, the Marine Corps, my, my marriage and family, you know, like we've got a vision board, we've got all this stuff that we're just like, Hey, this is how we're going to roll. And this is how we are going to approach problems and difficulties. And one, we're going to do it as a family because that's super important. And that we're as parents, we're creating this space that our kids can come home and be like, Hey, like I failed and suck at this. All right. Well, first of all, we love you. Thank you for talking to us about it. Thank you that you feel comfortable that you can share those things with us and that successes, failures, weaknesses, struggles, all of that is here. And we want to make sure that you, when you leave the house, you are the best version of you and a far better version of us. And um, the Marine Corps and Jiu-Jitsu continues to provide that for us. That's outstanding, man. I love that. And I think that that's a huge motivators you know you always got to look at who's watching you you know what I mean and, and setting that example for the kids just like you set that example for the white belts of like it's okay to get tapped but what are you doing are you spazzing out are you yelling you I've seen guys handle that real bad they get up they start screaming and cursing and no matter how many good things you do after that you're always kind of known as the guy who's like the dick who couldn't handle getting tapped you know so it's very easy to ruin that reputation so yeah so I agree like the the stuff with being a leader for that and making sure you, you stay calm because it's very easy to do something emotional. And then that's what people remember versus like all the good things and the times you didn't do that. But you did touch on you're a cancer survivor, which is an amazing story in itself. Obviously between jujitsu, Marine business, cancer survivor, you are a fighter. You have that mindset to keep going and stuff like that. But I think something like that, thankfully I, I have not been in that position. I'd love to hear just a little bit about like the, the mental toughness side of, of going through something like that and how it reshapes some of these other struggles. Wow. Um, yeah. It's, when, when I got diagnosed, we were stationed in Okinawa and the family was thriving. You know, the kids are speaking Japanese, we're traveling, work is awesome and got blood in my stool. Like, oh, that's weird. I'm a fit 40 year old. Like I shouldn't need, that's a thing. Right. And so my medical officer is like, oh, it's just a hemorrhoid. And I'm like, yeah, it's not that. I kind of in tune with my body and definitely uh, not a thing. So when got a colonoscopy and they're like, yeah, you have a 90, like the, your colon is about 90% uh, like full of this tumor. And so it's stage three cancer. And I'm like, oh, and so my wife's like, okay, are we leaving tomorrow? And I'm like, wait, I've got this exercise we're going to do for a month and we're going to go over here to Thailand. And she's like, you're an idiot. I'm like, no, man, like, it's fine. Like, you know, like I'm just not even, you know, it's, it's clearly not registering that this is the thing. And, uh, and then I have to remind myself, this is only four stages. So they check everything. It's in the lint nodes. You know, they check my liver because that's the first place it goes. And then, so we're back in the States in Balboa. And I remember flying getting on the plane and we were like, we're taxiing. And as soon as the thrusters hit and the jets take off, like I remember just looking up and like, it hits me, right? And I turn and look at my wife, I'm crying, she's crying. And it's like, wow, all right. So it's a brand new battle, right? Iraq, Afghanistan, okay, cool. 
now I'm focusing on a new enemy. I'm focusing on a new tactic. I'm focusing on like everything is new, but the principle doesn't change. And I'm grateful that I'm a, that I try to be a principle-based thinker and a principle-based um, living person because yeah, my situation changes. Simper gumbies we say in the Marine Corps, right? But the principles underlying. And so we get there, we start going through treatment, you know, all the side effects, the burning mouth, uh, the neuropathy, like the puking, like all of that stuff was going on, right? And it's like, all right, what am I going to do today? And it was, you know, in, in the early stages, it was like, hey, we're going to set this up for next week. Yeah. Well, next week we come and that's not happening. It's like, hey, we're going to worry about like three days from now. And then you didn't worry about three days from now. And then it got to the point, like, just like boot camp, you live chow to chow, Sunday to Sunday. And so I'd wake up. How do I feel? All right, I'm still above ground, rock on. What is my first goal? Make it to lunch. I'm gonna make it to lunch, no matter what happens, right? How many laps around the block am I gonna get today? I did three yesterday, so we're gonna go for four. All right, good. Sometimes I didn't get two. Sometimes I didn't even get one. Right. But those small steps of just like, I'm going to move forward. And it was a daily, every single day I had to make that decision. Um, my stepdad's a recovering alcoholic and he talks about how deciding what dog you feed. Do you feed the good dog or, you do, or do you feed the bad dog? And I made the choice every single day what dog I was going to feed. Was I going to feed the depressive, angry, woe is me, freaking life sucks, I'm going to lay in bed dog? Or am I going to lay, am I going to feed the dog that says, hey, I'm going to hug my kids, I'm going to kiss my wife, I'm going to eat something that's lukewarm and room temperature because cold water burns. Um, what can I do to better my life? Because I know somebody out there has it worse than I do. Um, fortunately, through Balboa, they had a surf clinic. And so they would go meet at 17th street in Del Mar and you could have, you had guys with TBI, you had PTSD, you had amputees, you had, um, uh, civilians that, you know, multiple, multiple sclerosis. Am I saying that right? Um, cerebral palsy, right? Like some of those physical debilitating, um, uh, diseases. And so they got to go and learn how to surf. Well, I volunteered to go teach them how to surf and be with them and be water safety and just help it. Even if it was just help set up chairs because the water would burn my legs or my feet because of neuropathy. I got to be able to volunteer for the vet, the vet, uh, the VA summer clinic. You know, we have veterans that are missing three limbs that, are in wheel, that have been in wheelchairs for 30 years. And here I am, all my legs, all my hands, and I just got a freaking tumor. Like it was such a good way for me to stay grounded because I was consistently giving service to other people that I could look at and be like, my cancer is okay. I'm in a good spot. Uh, I would see, um, we would have a cancer lunch and we would meet once a month. And I would see this 20 year old kid that has like a bone marrow cancer. And he's like, oh yeah, I gotta get another bone marrow transplant. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, oh, basically drilling your bone. And I'm like, I think my radiation's okay. I think my chemo, my three hour chemo doesn't really hurt. And it's just an IV. So I, can, I constantly tried to find ways that I could provide service and mentorship to other people to make my life and what I was struggling with become non-existent. And I knew that was a huge mental plus for me because no matter how bad I thought my day was going, that person over there 
and from Vietnam or whatever, got blown up, got hit by an ID, something, and now they're in a wheelchair and they're missing two or three limbs. Okay. You know, and so how can I provide the best service I can for that individual while they're here having this experience so they can leave and say, that was a really, really fun time, or I enjoy being able to pop up or, Hey, thanks for getting me out of the water. Like that meant more to me than trying to feed the, the that bad dog of depression and like my life sucks. That is so intense, man. Wow. I'm really glad you're here. Obviously, I, there's no, there's no accidents, you know, this, this stuff. I just got like goosebumps listening to you go through that. But, you know, it's, it all comes down to, I think, a choice. And like, you're constantly making the choice. Like you said, I've never heard it like that, but I love that feed the dog, the good dog or the bad dog. But I tell everybody, your decisions in life are exactly what got you where you are. And people, I don't think put enough stock into the fact that even something like how you take terrible news or like awful things like that, the attitude goes such a, a long way. Like, and you have a decision. It's like, either way, as one of my friends said, when he, he was in a very similar situation, he said, the doctor said, look, this is what you have. You don't have a choice, but what you do have is you can take it good or you can take it bad, but either yeah. way you're taking it. So this is in your control. And I feel like that's the, the high road that you continually take and you keep finding yourself on top because of that optimism and that resilience. Thank you. And you know, it's now that I'm on the other side of the tunnel, I've been able to have conversations with like six other service members who had that have been diagnosed with certain stages of cancer. And I'm like, hey man, I got you. Right. And as alpha and being surrounded by alpha male Marines and other service members, you know, that that weakness is not an option to be able to say, hey, this is what went on with my body. Are you having this with your body? And then to be like, yeah, man, like they did this and they had to do that. Yeah, I got you. You want to see my scar from what they did? Like, it's okay. And you're able to break that barrier and have that commonality. And then just, does it get better, man? Dude, it totally gets better. You know, I've had some guys call and just like crying. I'm like, I'm a fat bastard. Like, I'm not, I'm not losing weight. This is horrible. You're going to upset me. I'm like, Hey man, thanks for calling. Let's just take a moment and breathe. You want to meet somewhere? Like, you know, it's, so it's, again, it's about giving back because when, when I retire from the Marine Corps, right, I have two, um, main reasons, my selfless reason and my selfish reason of why I want to want to have a W-2. My selfish reason is I want optionality. I want freedom of time. I want to go be able to do what I want when I want to do it without having to have the financial burden of figuring out if that can be happened. And then my selfless time is going in communities here and abroad and spending all of that time doing whatever it is I want. Going to Brazil, teaching jiu-jitsu, go to Indonesia, surf in the morning, teach jiu-jitsu in the afternoon. Um, go give service at, at go live up, up at Big Bear and help shovel stuff and give little old ladies like clear out their driveways just for free because I have the opportunity to impact the community around me in positive ways. That's a life fulfilled and a life worth living, in my opinion. Dude, talking about your real estate journey now, I know you you have a long progression of things and you went from investing in single family stuff and it, it went into like land investments and turnkey, but I'd love to hear about the progression of when and how you started to go into these other models because. I see it now when I talk to people and they're like, well, what do you do? And I do all this different stuff and it, it feels, it feels wrong because people are always telling me, no, you got to focus on one thing. But then I had a conversation the other day and the guy was like, well, like, as long as you're doing one thing at a time, getting it down and then moving on to the next thing and then moving on to the next thing, then you're, you're pretty good. So 
that made me feel a little bit better. And I kind of started thinking about as long as you've been doing it, I doubt you started doing all of that the same day. So just for people listening that are like, man, I want to do all the things Travis is doing. Like, where did you start? And where was the point that you decided I'm going to go to the next thing, or I'm going to diversify a little bit? Okay. So yeah. So when we started again in 2018, got introduced to Dave Bray and then met Stu Grazier and then Stu and David Gutierrez have a storehouse 310 ventures. And they're doing turnkey properties in Milwaukee. And I'm like, hey, sweet, perfect, easy. You know, that their turnkey was awesome. They were offering like their, and they still might. They had a one-year warranty on their rehab. They had everything in place. And so we started there. One turned into three. And then the, um, started networking and networking and networking. And then came across another company that was kind of like a hotel slash turnkey company. And uh, they introduced me to some multifamily in Cleveland. So we went ahead and pulled that trigger. And again, you know, when they talk about if you can do, if you can do one door, right, invest in one door, doing 10 or 50 or 100 is, is not any different. Very true. You just got to add some more zeros and just repeat, you know, the steps over again. So moving into the five unit wasn't any different. And then um, moved into network, continued to grow, network, continued to grow, and then had a bunch of cash, then it was like, well, do I want to have, do I want to keep investing in real estate as far as like properties? Having lost everything in Vegas, I was like, well, I kind of want to diversify my real estate a little bit. So we started doing private lending. Alexander, two names, Alexander, she's on Facebook. <laughs> um, she's amazing. She's built an entire like private money lending empire on Facebook and she's now with, with bigger pockets and stuff and she was really helpful and and that community was trying to figure out like what it means and you start learning the lingo of deeds of trust or liens and then um, you know warranty deeds and all this promissory notes and all of that stuff and then you start working with, with lawyers and so you're getting understanding of how the paperwork issue works and how that whole process works you're like okay cool and you know, and learn how private lending, you can set your terms, you can set the interest rate, you can set all of that stuff up, but it's just a communication and how you can solve a problem for somebody who's looking for cash and then how both parties can win. You get a return on your money, they get to have a property, they continue to move on and go forth. And then that was cool. And then um, networking started to grow and then we got into short-term rentals and short-term rentals are on fire right now, right? And then uh, met the partners that I get to work with, with Chris and Ashton at Valkyrie. And, you know, just everything came from just talking and communicating, continue to be on, be on podcasts, right? Get yourself out there, go to webinars, niche out the time to go to the LinkedIn webinars, uh, the uh, meetups, you know, whatever you can do to be like, hey, how you doing? This is what I'm experiencing. This is why I, I don't know and I'd like to grow. And there's always somebody there that says, oh, I can do this and put you in contact with this person. And then you have a conversation and you just add another tool. And I love all that. So it definitely seems like your, your network has been huge for you diversifying into these different things. What, what's your role? So are they bringing you turnkey Airbnb stuff, turnkey multifamily stuff? Are you investing in funds as a little bit of both types of deals? So no funds, no REITs. Um, everything right now is just adding to my portfolio. Um, I'm on, I'm on lists, like I'm on Stu's list to get another turnkey whenever that happens. And, um, and now it's just trying to grow that portfolio and, and grow the doors in real estate. Um, with multifamily being what it is, you know, small cap rates, compressed, com compressed cap rates, being super inundated and like almost, I wouldn't say saturated, but dang near pretty popular. 
you know, you're looking at how do we convert mobile home parks or RV parks or how is that, which is kind of just like riding multifamily. You just have to do it on, um, you know, different types of the numbers are slightly different, but the concept is still the same. And then how do you, you know, you got tiny homes. If you've got mobile homes or kind of hard to get because of the supply chain issues, you have to take that into effect. And so um, just different avenues just to pivot, but still keep the, the end goal in mind of where I want to be when I retire from the Marine Corps. I think that's excellent, man. As far as when somebody brings you something like that, I think one of the one of the things I'm very big on is people come up to me when they don't really have any experience, they don't really know what they're doing, and they'll try and say, well, this person just bought me this deal, and they'll rely on that person's numbers, but they don't do any of their own due diligence for verifying any of that stuff. And I tell everybody, like, it's not that somebody's always trying to, to do something squirrely. Like, you know, sometimes they their kid kept them, you know, they hit the wrong button on the computer, the spreadsheets, the formula screwed up, things happen. So you always have to do your own due diligence on top of that. How much are you doing when somebody sends you something and says, here's my numbers? Like, what's your process to make sure that you vet that deal on your own before you pull the trigger? Oh, first thing, um, yeah, my system, I have a bigger pocket account. I go there and I run the number. I have, I have like two or three different um, Excel documents that I run the same deal through to see how close they are. And I get nuances, but that's fine for me. Um, and then I go to Rentometer. I check out the rent there. Um, I check out Zillow. I check out apartments for, for apartments.com. I definitely go to the assessor page. I look at the taxes. I see how it's zoned. I make, you know, heaven forbid, this happened to uh, two people that talked, that reached out to me and said, hey, um, you're in the war room or you're in, uh, I saw you on a Facebook group. This is the problem I have. And they ended up buying a duplex that was only zoned for single family. And then they got a letter in the mail saying, you need to convert it back. Oh, you know, I'm like, dang, that agent screwed you. Sorry. Um, th these are some courses of action I, that you could do. I'm not telling you to do either one, but these are some ideas to think about. So like, you know, making sure the taxes are legit making sure that it's zoned properly, making sure that there's no outstanding permits, there's no liens, making sure the title search is clean, um, you know, seeing if there's no outstanding utilities, all that stuff is just, it's just a checklist that you create and just repeat checklist. That's awesome, man. I love that. So what's kind of next on your agenda? What are you finding is the the best way right now for you to be investing? Cause I know it always matters. Like what kind of time you have to put in. You're always, you're still doing the, the active Marine thing. You're still doing the Jiu Jitsu thing. So what are the next like six, 12, 18, 24 months look like for you and your strategies? Yeah. Great question. So for my strategy, working with Chris and Ashton at Valkyrie, um, I am focused solely hundred percent on my superpower of just connecting people and being able to raise capitals when deals come in and just continue to educate people, especially now since limited partners have gotten so used to amazing returns on multifamily that we're going to have to like, Hey, there's some education piece that if you're just getting an inflation return, seven, 8.3, 8.5, if you're lucky to get nine, or you're going to get a seven, six, but you know, you may be, you may be getting that range, but that's far better than what you could get in a CD or something else like that. Right. And sorry that you're not getting your 12, 15, 18% returns. Are those hormones out there? Yes. But Let's go ahead and try to focus on something where we can secure a an, a uh, a real piece of property that you can still use the depreciation for. You can still use the debt the debt buy down. You can still use those things to help offset those amazing returns that you've had for the last like five years. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting the way that uh, like we were talking a little bit earlier about people that haven't really invested through the correction yet. 
and the way that the cap rates are right now and the way that interest rates are going up, I think there was a lot of people that raised money into deals that really were riding the best case scenarios. That's going to be interesting to see where that goes when things correct a little bit, because I don't think those are all going to pan out the way that they planned in a three to five year term. I agree. I agree. And I hope that there's not capital calls. And I hope that, you know, worst case that these guys have have mitigated enough risk and the necessary risk instead of focusing on all the returns. Because, uh, you know, I, I, if I was an LP that had full disclosure from my GP saying, hey, we, we, we can't give you distributions, but we also don't need a capital call and we're also not going to lose the property. Right. And that's some open and that's going to be a really good test of who the GPs are that underwrote correctly and who the GPRs are willing to communicate with their LPs and the relationship they have established. Dude, it's, it's crazy. Like we were in, I was in, it was at Bill's event. I, I was out, I was in the, at the, at the, I had like an Airbnb out there and I was kind of like floating around the pool making calls. And some guy hits me up on Facebook and he's like, Hey, I'd like to talk to you about a deal, whatever. I'm like, all right, all right. So he calls me through Facebook, which is weird. You know what I mean? Like I almost never pick up if somebody calls me on Facebook, but, but I picked up and I was like, what's up, man. And he's like, Oh, I need like uh, you know, a hundred, half a million dollars. And I'm like, for what? And he's like, well, for, you know, I have this multifamily deal, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And then I got another one that I need like 2 million for. And I was like, well, like, I don't know you, how much experience do you have? He's like, well, I've never actually done a multifamily, but like my, my dad has, or something like that. You know, and he's like, my dad was like a, a commercial real estate broker or something like that. And I was like, well, what about like the construction side? He's like, well, I've never actually like renovated a multifamily, but I do have construction experience in something else and X, Y, and Z. And He's like, so this is kind of our first thing, but we know the area well. We're very confident. We've already raised like six, seven, eight hundred thousand. And I was like, well, can you give me a rundown or send me like some information that I can look over on exactly what types of renovations are, what the timelines are? Like, send me something for me to look at to figure out like what the plan of progression is here and what what I can expect. He goes, dude, I just told you. <laughs> five hundred thousand. We're gonna buy this thirty-one unit. We're gonna renovate it, and we're gonna sell it for a bunch more money. Like what more? And I was oh. like, oh, all right, all right, no, cool, all right, yeah. So probably not gonna work for me, but like, good luck. And like, I hung up the phone. I was like, man, like somebody already gave this guy a half a million dollars. He's probably gonna get the rest. He has no idea what he's doing, and and literally the way he's raising money is illegal. You know, there's guys like that every day that I'm like, Jesus, oh. man, like. Oh, scary stuff. Transitioning a little bit into, I guess, both, both sides of it as far as risks and things changing, you know, stuff's always evolving, stuff's always always going in different directions, there's stuff we can't account for. And I, I liken the fact that jujitsu, even though it evolves, the foundations and the basics are still the same. And you're able to, I guess, be aware if you're getting yourself into trouble or in a bad position sooner, so you can adjust. So on the real estate side, being that I saw Vegas go up, I saw Vegas tumble, and now Vegas is three or four times the price of where it crashed last time. What are your thoughts kind of like having an idea? Because a lot of people that are out there doing real estate did not invest when you and I did. They have no idea what it's like to invest in a market that you buy a house and it doesn't appreciate in value every month, which is going to be real interesting when things shift. But, you know, (laughs) for you now, like what are some indicators or things like where you're at with the market? Because, you know, I look at it as like, yeah, there's, there's definitely things that are pointing towards a correction, but we're not making a lot of the same mistakes. I study some of the things like how much equity is being pulled, how much over are they allowing? Like, there's going to be people that make the same mistakes, but there's also a lot of smart people that have put things in place to not. And then we have the shortage, which was the complete opposite. Like where I, I was probably buying right in Vegas when you were, and it became, 
you know, phase one became, okay, well, we'll hold out for phase two for phase three. And then it's built. And then it's, well, we'll drop the price to sell it. And then it came, well, we'll rent it. And then, well, we'll drop the price to rent it. And then it's just, like you said, anything to just keep them from not destroying the house or having me have to cover that. Not every month. So what, what do you see? Like what, if you had a crystal ball right now, what are you seeing in the market? Uh, yeah, great question. And uh, just follow LinkedIn or social media and everybody will tell you. I think for me, for travel, <laughs> um, the underwriting, way more stringent than it was back in 2008, right? The Great Recession, you could just fog a mirror and you get qualified for half a million. That is, is still tight, which is super good. The supply doesn't meet demand, which is good, right? And, when, I'm, and I'm, when I say which is good compared to the Great Recession, right? Um, we still have a strong demand. We still have a shortage of supply. The interest rates, right, as they go up with inflation, they are going to slow the market. I don't think it, I mean, you're going to have it not be white hot and maybe blue hot and maybe red hot, but it's still going to be, it, there's still things driving. Like I was on a um, Brian Briscoe's multifamily apartment call today. And there was a guy that got beat on 26 offers on an apartment building. 26 offers. Okay. Good. Yep. Way to get in that boat, that double bouquet of uh, offers. <laughs> so the offers are there, you know, from a multifamily standpoint, from a syndication standpoint, cap rates are super compressed, right? You know, it was probably a lot better. Like, oh, I can make a seven, eight cap work. And now like, all right, can we make a two, three, four cap work? I don't know. You know, our GPs pushing their are they going to be holding maybe a seven year instead of a three and a half, four year deal and holding out their, their payments? I think so. Um, we did a deal. Um, they were offering two tiers, you know, like, like 9%, 4% returns based on how, you know, it's kind of like hundred thousand, you get nine, 50,000 with an equity split at 4%, you know, and, and there's a lot of the LPs are like, no, man, I want 15% on my IR. Well, those days aren't happening much anymore. You know, you've got to find, like unless you're super, super niche in that market and super, super tight with your off market, your, your lender or your broker who can find that off market deal or your, uh, your sales team and acquisitions are on point to get it from that, from the, the seller by owner. Uh, you know, but I don't, I think we're in a good spot from investors. I think solid base hits are where you're going to make your long-term gains for sure. If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesale, or fixing foods, whatever it is, that's find a way to get you involved in some projects, fix some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fixing foot, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com, go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure. Or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nickandnick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together. Make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. I, I agree. I think too many people are, they want to get rich on Monday. And I think that that's the biggest thing. And I think that... To not only their fault, but the people that were the mortgage brokers and stuff, setting them up for failure. I think that there's, like you said, there's communities like the War Room and there's the Bill Allens and there's, there's people that you can go to that will give you a realistic expectation of, of what a good deal is and, and what a bad deal is. And you can get some sort of at least 
reference point for some of the predatory stuff out there. Oh yeah, absolutely. With uh, I meet with um, I'm a part of the war room, and so I meet every Saturday. We're Green Squad. We're like one of the first five created or something, and so we we're pretty proud of our OG status. And you know, having having powerhouses like Adam Whitney on there and Marty Tyler that that runs the the admin side of the war room, like be able to just say call those guys up or text me like, hey, this is the deal. And even on the Facebook page, right? Like, hey, this or the Slack channel, this is what I got going on. Anybody, like, please poke holes in it. And the power that the comfort that comfort, not in like it's a warm blanket, but the the foundation and the good backstop to be able to like, okay, I didn't see any of that, or those were all good points. Then to be able to go back and work with the seller or work with the agent or work with the lender to kind of like, hey, what about some things here? And that's priceless. That's saving you so much money. That's awesome, man. So I I don't want to take up your whole day. You've been awesome, but I can't not geek out with you about jujitsu. So we were talking about it before and I was like, what are we doing? We have to pause it and get this recorded. And, you know, we were talking about just the, the way that they are systemizing some of the things there. And you were, you were kind of alluding towards the difference in how the mat tells the truth, man. And just people might not understand that, but you can tell immediately the second you lock up with somebody so much about them. It's insane. And like people that are listening to jujitsu guys, they're, they're doing exactly what they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. You can tell immediately. And I go all over the, the country and I go and I, I meet people and I come in, I've never seen them before. I've never rolled them before. And within 30 seconds, you know, the type of thing it's going to be. So um, talk a little bit more about that, because I think between being in, you're in, in a lot of different things that the, the, the herd gets thin very easily. Jiu-jitsu, Marines, you know, real estate, all, all the things you've been through. So I just love to hear about how you, you probably don't accidentally keep coming to the, the top of that and surrounding yourself with other right players. Man, I, I 100%, you can, you touch somebody, right? You just grab their pajamas and you're like, oh, <laughs> I know how I can, I, I'm, gonna, I'm either going to cock my hammer or I'm just going to have a good time helping this guy. There, there's so much power in that, right? And there's so much, um, there's excitement in that, a little bit of fear, right? False evidence appearing real or whatever. I think that the, what's the classic quote, right? Like the belt holds up two inches of your butt, but you got to hold up, you know, you got to fight the rest of their fight for the rest of it or something like that you know and that's true like as a brown belt technically i can start doing knee bars some other tenant planet guys like oh i've been doing knee bars for the last four years yeah that's true you know and every school has its different style my the fact that i've got a picture with my second son my oldest son he was like 10 at the time and he's standing next to Andre Galvao and Andre Galvao has his hand on his shoulder. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like this is the most amazing thing ever. And it's a priceless picture, right? Whatever, regardless, whether you think Andre's cool or not cool, going to be Gordon, not going to be Gordon, that doesn't matter. But you have a man who's dedicated his life and a very successful one at that to jujitsu, to the sport of jujitsu and have raised thousands of amazing jujitsu practitioners. And he's has his hand on my son's shoulder, like, oh my gosh, dude, that's freaking awesome. You know, Josh Hinger, hey man, you're, you're Titan Cruz, huh, dad? Yeah, well, and your boys are awesome, freaking love those kids. I just tell them to go do it and they go do it. The Hinger team is freaking telling me my kids are awesome. How cool is that? You know, so, you know, be able to see Flavio Almeida, um, you know, go into, into uh, ADCCs and you're like, oh, look, there's a, it's a huge honor for me to be able to see Bernardo Fario right over there, like four seats over, just kicking it. You know, <laughs> you're not going to see, like, you're not going to see that in other sports. I don't think just the, the easy, the easiness of meshing when you, when you go and you roll with somebody and they mop the floor with you or you mop the floor with them, or it's a good, uh, 
You know what the word confetti is in Portuguese? Mm -mm. So confetti is like, hey, we're going to knuckle up and go. Like every, you're going to bring your A game and I'm going to bring my A game. And I'm sure I'm slaughtering it for all our <laughs> guys. But um, nothing, I, I think there's something so powerful about two guys going at confetti, right? Like I'm going to bring it, you're going to bring it. And I was reading um, High Barrel's book when he was rolling with uh, the one that would always come out to the UFC. Voice? Hoy. Yeah, Hoyce's dad. Who's Hoyce's dad? The, the one that's always in all over, like everybody's got the picture of him. The smallest one that was with the mustache when he was younger. Um, uh, Helio. Helio, thank you. Yeah. Well, I don't want to screw it up and get death threats because- yeah, no, like, we're, we're going to edit that to make history. it seem like I nailed it on the first shot. <laughs> <laughs> it's Helio. But uh, reading um, Hybero's book, and he was talking about he was rolling with Helio, and Hale, like is much bigger than Helio. And he was talking about how the ultimate form of power was that Professor Halio couldn't, or Hibero couldn't defeat Halio. Like, like everything that Hibero did, Halio was able to negate. And he's like, I left from that as the ultimate form. Like he had the ultimate form of power. I'm like, dude, that's what it's like to roll in jujitsu. When your, your will and my will clash and we can do that over and over and over again by a simple tap. And that's, that is so amazing. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing that can happen your entire life from like five to 85. Yeah. That was the cool thing to me is that, you know, I was a boxer and then I started realizing like, I have, I can do, I can't get hit in the head forever, but I can do jujitsu like for, and there's like, at some point you got kind of burnt out with like cross hook jab slides, you know, and then, but like they're literally inventing new moves. You don't see them like inventing new footwork and boxing and stuff like that. Like, so I feel like not only the simulation for the mind, but the, the body and all that stuff, like it really, it's, it's like learning a new language. Like it never yeah. gets old. And then, you know, you learn stuff, you get good at stuff. And then I'll watch somebody teach me an arm bar. I learned day one and I'll see something different in it. Or I'll, I'll be like, Oh, I forgot. Like when I was a boot, I pulled off omoplatas all the time. I haven't done them in five years. Why, why did I stop doing that? So I, you know, and again, those same things start to ring true. Now when the market turns in real estate, it's like, Oh shit, I forgot. I have all these tools in my tool belt for when the market wasn't good and I yeah, had yeah. to get creative and I had to get dirty and those are going to come back into play again. And it, it is kind of like, you know, full circle, like we were saying earlier, those lessons and those beatings that we both took when the market turned last time, that was us getting our white or blue and our purple belts, you know? So it's not like when we get there now again, it's like, I'm so much more prepared for that. So you're not going to, you know, not that you're not going to get tapped out from time to time, but you're probably not going to take the ass whooping that you took then, you know what I mean? And yes. kind of refreshing and exciting all at the same time, right? Gives you a little 100%. Bit 100%. When you've got guys like, oh, since 2019, I've made millions. Yeah, well, that's good for you, man, because you have no idea what it's like to be on the other side of that a decade earlier. <laughs> so yeah, it's hundred percent, man. I agree with you that, um, that what you learn in the younger belts and going through your nicks and cuts, because nobody gets out of BJJ and nobody gets out of real estate without cuts and bruises and scars. Right. But at the end of the day, that's what makes the journey so amazingly beautiful. I could not have said it better, my friend. I intentionally tried to put off talking about jujitsu because I figured we would never get to real estate or anything. <laughs> uh, it's always nicer when there's a, a sense of uh, communities and sense of other people out there that are actually doing their diligence, doing the right thing, being up front. You know, I never suggest like if you've never done anything, go and do something like that guy did. But parlaying that into the next question, I love how 
there is a sense of community with all the things that we're doing that you can go bounce stuff off. Like the same way I'll see somebody go, like I'll watch something crazy on YouTube and then I'll go to the jujitsu, whether it's in Chicago or New York, and I'll be like, hey, I really want to like work on this. And they'll be like, try that on me a second. I'll do it. And they'll be like, yeah. And I'm like, you know what? Enough said, doesn't work. One of those YouTube things, never going to, and they were like, all right, let's go back to the stuff that works. And I'm like, okay. But the same thing with business of like, well, what if I did this and I do that? And then they could be like, Psh! Like, no, that's a ridiculous idea. So how much has, not only it sounds like for the investment side of it, but for like the confidence and then the support and the encouragement and just the networking and everything, how much of your success and your, your sanctity and your, your happiness in, in life for the last few years have come from surrounding yourself with that supportive community, not only of military, but of jujitsu and even surfing? Oh man, um, it's everything. It's all three tied together between the, the network of real estate to the brotherhood of jiu-jitsu and then just the love of love of the ocean with surfing like there is so many parallels to all three of those things with mentality with um work ethic with mindfulness with focus with man with all of that stuff with setbacks right like you have a bad business deal you're not going to get you're not going to get out of investing unscathed um jiu-jitsu you're going to find somebody better than you and he's going to beat your butt every single time. You may last longer, right? Like I'm 47. I get crushed by 20 year olds and doesn't, and that's great. And 20 pounds in 10 years, like that's a real thing, right? <laughs> like, that's a real thing. And I respect that, but it may not, it may be 10 seconds longer each time. And that's okay. That's a win for me. Uh, surfing, you got to duck dive. And sometimes you got to duck dive two or three sets to get out to the lineup. Like all of those things are all parallels to life and diverse uh, adversity and being diligent and picking yourself up and failing forward like all of that stuff happens and it's all the network right seeing you at events seeing david events seeing chris and ashton at events like seeing all these people that i've been able to see through the the computer screen and then you know going and like we were talking about before like oh look there's bernardo faria or like oh there's gordon ryan slapping Gore, uh andre what the heck you know, like all this stuff that is just like awesome. And then you're in the lineup with your surfing crew in the morning and you're like, Hey, what's up, man? It's good to see you. Oh man, you scored so sick on that wave. Like you crushed it. Right. And then you catch a wave and you're like, Oh, that sucks that you caught the wave, but I'm glad you caught the wave. Like all of that stuff that happens. And it's just, it's beauty. It's such good. It's good for the soul. It's good for everybody around you. What is the difference for you in jujitsu and surfing? I know there's a, it's such a, a, a <laughs> They cross over so well, like guys that are jujitsu yeah. guys or surfing guys. Like, and one of the things I've always loved about it, my, my buddy Ruben, uh, who's a 10th planet, very high level black belt out there. He runs, uh, he runes a bunch of different 10th planets either way. So he was talking about his baby. Cause he bought her like when she just had her to go give me a couple of privates. And he was like, dude, she's like an iPhone at night. She goes to bed and it's almost like shutting your phone off. And she wakes up with this update and now she can like talk or point or do this thing. And he's like, so He's like, I feel like that that's what we need to do. And when he said it, I thought about it. And I was like, you know what? He's right. For me, jujitsu is me shutting my battery off and updating. Even though I'm not off, anything that was on my mind, once you're in the middle of the role, you're forced to be like, nope, not worried about that deal right now. Not worried about, I'm worried about my neck, my face, my back, my sweep, my this, my that, you know? And then you don't even realize that you've been forced to live, like not even in the moment, but in the second, second by second. And then an hour goes by and you're like, oh man, like, I have such a better, clear vision now of all the things I was tripping over before. I'm not as worried about it. It just, it resets you and opens up a whole new view. I have okay. heard surfing does a very similar thing, but in a different way. So I'd love to hear as you, as somebody who's very high level in both, where do you take that? And how does help that help you as far as helping you just 
reset, unplug, or just, you know, retract from all the problems in life? Check. Well, when you get out here to the West Coast, make sure you go to 540 and hit up, uh, I think it's Joe Tudor. He'll teach a class. Yes. And yeah. he also help help that question because uh, he's he's like the lifetime surfer jujitsu practitioner on the West Coast for sure. Um, for I me, though, my over there, he, he was just on Matt Sarah's podcast like two weeks ago. Yeah, he he's he he lives that life for sure. For me, um, you know, when I bow onto the mat, it's I walk through this this screen, this film, right, and and life, marriage, work, emails, my pains, my aches, my frustrations. I'm completely empty-minded, completely empty-minded. And doing that over the years has allowed me to like focus on, all right, there's my little pinky toes gotta be here. My foot's gotta be here. This is where that goes for me. All right, I'm established in this frame and this wedge in this position to be able to counter that. And then I can still be completely empty of not thinking about anything, but completely, totally focused like you were saying on my body. Where am I, where am I flexing? Where am I contracting here? How am I extending? Where's my hips at? How do I create that rotational force? Like all of that stuff that's going on is fantastic. Surfing. How does that parallel to surfing? When I was first started surfing, the Grabascus brothers were at lowers. I'm like, hey, can I ask you a question? And they've got like the biggest smiles ever. And they're like, yeah, bro, go ahead. And I'm like, how do you, how do you feel the wave? And he's like, you just got to feel it. And I'm like, what the freak does that even mean? <laughs> Right. And then you start surfing and then you're like, oh, you become like you start becoming the wave and you use the wave and the wave uses you and you start flowing with the wave the same way when, you know, when somebody says, hey, man, you want to flow? You're like, yeah, let's flow. And the people that don't know how to flow, and they're trying to like, you know, go 100 percent and be Uncle Rico and like tap you and everything like, no, man, we're just trying to flow and war. And you can just flow from transition to transition, top, bottom, everything. Same way with surfing. You just get on, you catch the wave. It's there, you're in the pocket, you feel the energy and you just enjoy it and you paddle back out. And, you know, it's always cold here on the West Coast. And uh, it's just, especially at Dawn Patrol, the sun's coming up behind you. You're, I'm sitting in something that's more powerful than I. So it keeps you humble, right? Just like the big, the, the mat keeps you humble. You, it's something bigger than you. You feel its power. You can't inflict yourself on it. It always owns you. It lets you know that it owns you, you know, the same way that jujitsu does because it's a lifelong endeavor. Man, I love that. You should, uh, I feel like you should write blogs. <laughs> you said that really well. Like all those things. I was like, man, it's nice. You like a video, like a weekly video blog and stuff like that. Man. A very like nice tone with all of it too. I was like, that made me want to do it, man. It actually calmed me down just listening to you talk about it. <laughs> That's awesome. Dude. All so right, close talk- your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> how do you do like that? What is it like the morning meditation thing with like calm? Yeah, yeah it should be like yeah. picture yourself was, on a river. Wasn't there a uh, like an SNL thing they did that? Like um, there was some talk where the guy like deep impressions or something like that that it was kind of a skit at SNL. Oh yeah, was it like Jack Handy and like deep thoughts? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember those pop up from time to time. Oh, you know what? Was there a? Oh no, no, no. You're right. I'm mixing two of them. So there was this the this the Saturday Night Live one that they would have that. And the guy would like, have like, uh, Hey, like ever thought about blah, 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 blah. But then there was uh, on the state, they used to have old fashioned guy and he would do something like, do you remember the state? The state? No, I just remember like in living color was the only one that I remember. Living color is another great one. Yeah. The state used to have old fashioned guy, very similar thing, but I do remember like, I think it was deep thoughts with Jack Handy on Saturday Night Live. Right. It was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we were talking about the, 
the evolution of jujitsu and just even now like shout out to david Perret. hopefully this keeps him accountable for going to jujitsu out there but it used to be where i remember hearing the stories of matt sarah and all these old school guys when they're talking about having to find like a guy who knew a gracie that came to your coast once or twice a year that you were lucky enough to get something with and you had to like remember it and then go home and like drill it with your buddies in like a barn somewhere like literally i think Henzo's was above like a methadone clinic. Matt's first school was in a barn. And then when I started traveling and looking for other places to train, they were really only in major cities. And then if you were lucky to find another one, it was still guys that were working full-time jobs. So there was one class a day, sometimes three or four days a week. And now almost anywhere, dude, they're like freaking Starbucks. They're all over the place. I was just talking to a dude at uh, 10th Planet Dallas. And I was like, man, like, what do you, what do you do? He's like, this is all I do now. Like, so you have guys now that are only doing jujitsu full-time. They're making a living competing and running a school. They're just on the mats all day, which I think is going to be incredible for just the evolution of the sport in general, but it's, it's come a long way. It's pretty awesome to see. So from you starting out, like, what is it like on your side, especially in California being, you guys got so many great jujitsu schools out there. So many great jujitsu players out there. I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey for what made you start going towards jujitsu and what you've seen over the years out there and training all over the world. Check. Um, yeah, I started, I came up after college, I was studying Kimpo Karate with um, John Sepulveda up in Cupertino in the early, early 90s. And uh, Bill Superfoot Wallace showed up a couple of times and they would spar. Um, was it Eddie Enriquez? Uh, what's the what's the song by Elton John? Eddie Enriquez had a his nickname, really fast guy, short dude. Um, he would show up a couple of times, but there was this one black belt, Kempo black belt, uh, that would show up and he was like, oh, we're doing this thing called jujitsu. I'm like, that looks dumb. Of course, my stand-up traditional martial art ignorance wasn't, didn't appreciate <laughs> what it is. And so I was introduced to jujitsu in 2005 by Brandon Cooley. And he's like, Hey, come spar with me. Cause I'm like, yeah, I just like combat. Let's just go whoop it on. So he beat me up every time, like all the time. And, um, my first formal school was when I came to Gracie Baja San Clemente in 2010 and met Flavio Almeida and Felipe Guedes here in uh, San Clemente and Dana Point. Trained with them until 2000. Uh, oh, no, sorry. I was stationed at Cherry Point in 2005. So 2005, 2010, I would train with Brandon there at Cherry Point. And that's when the WEC was getting big and um, actually helped Brian Stan train for his heavyweight fight when he fought a ball-headed guy. And just like you were saying, some random dude would show up at the state fairgrounds and he would bring his mats, they would roll them out and we would just like <laughs> spar and do things. And so I remember like, he, we didn't have belts. It was all just like no gi. And he's like, all right, hey, get on top of Brian. So I got on top of Brian. He's like, don't let him get off Mount or stay on Mount. So I was like, stay on Mount. And as Brian's beating me, he's like, you're screwing it up. You're screwing it up. And then we would just like, whatever. And so then at that, you know, we helped whatever influence I had in that, that was really fun, but it was the thing. He didn't have a school. There was no school. And now you go back there and it's like three or four schools between Camp Lejeune and, and Sherry Point and people are just training all over. So that's awesome to see that progression. Uh, and then went to, came here to West Coast, Gracie Vos, San Clemente, trained left to go to Okinawa, trained with Ivan Sakamoto in Okinawa and uh, fought a couple of times there. The kids fought. And then um, came back 
in 2019, trained at Atos for a couple of years, and then moved back up here to Camp Pendleton and now back with Gracie Ball San Clemente. And training internationally or training in different schools has been really, really rewarding. And it's been such a choice blessing uh, that I love uh, in my jujitsu journey because it's not only exposed me to great gyms, but it's exposed me to like how different people play the game of jujitsu. Right. It's one thing to go to the same school and be like, all right, hey, we're going to practice open guard or spider or daily heel or something. Right. But then like, hey, this school is really good about doing this thing. That's kind of like they're, you know, he, he just kind of grows up doing that. And I think that that is the beauty of a martial art. Right. Like we forget that jujitsu is a martial art and that as a martial art, what are we? We are martial artists. And when we as individuals appreciate whatever method that we want to attack your arms, your legs, your ankles, whatever joint or your chokes that we want to attack you with, that's the freedom of being the martial artist, right? I'm not tied to, you know, you look at traditional stand-up martial arts, like when your punch had to be right here and it can't be over here and it can't be over there, it had to be right there. And then you're, when you brought your hands back above your hips, it had to be right there at the point of your hip, nowhere else. Well, with jujitsu, based on my anatomy and your anatomy, I can put my hand here, 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 wherever it needs to be. If I'm going to create a brace, right, or a frame opposite where the pressure's coming, I know where that's going to be within like three seconds for my body. And nobody else can put it where I want to put it because that works for me. That's the beauty of, of the, the artist part of jujitsu that I don't think any other martial art really provides because of, look at, you know, look at, uh, was it Mike Buscemi fought that 300 pound guy at the IBJJF and like beat him? Musumichi, the pizza kid? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the open weight class. And you're like, that is jujitsu. That is what Helio wanted so many years ago and saw and was able to communicate that into BJJ. And then you're watching it explode. You talked about, you know, how jujitsu is becoming everywhere and everybody's able to train. Look at the surf ranches that are exploding across all the country. You know, you're going to see surfers. There was a, what's that old school or that old movie back in the eighties where the guy was like at big surf in Arizona and he ends up hitting like the world surf tour back in the day. Like you're going to see these kids in Kansas who have been just screaming on us on a, uh, uh, at a surf ranch and going hitting the WSL or just winning all these, these coast championships. The same way you look at Rotulo brothers who are dominating people and, uh, and, um, was it flow and, and, uh, fight, WNO, who's number yep, one? WNO, yep. And, you know, ADCCs fighting against um, the Rotula brother, what, two years ago, three years ago, had that nasty knee bar where the other guy was, just wasn't happy and it looked like he was uh, having a Sunday morning lunch. <laughs> Me, like, in negative angle. You know, you look at all these guys. The Who's the guy that just fought Gio Martinez? He was, like, 19, the blue belt, and just gave him, like, gave him a good run for his money and kind of just owned him the entire time. So you're just going to see amazing, amazing kids that have started at five, six years old and they're 20 and they're just like, yeah, I'm a blue belt. And they're just crushing dudes. It's absolutely nuts, man. I, I know Gio's not far from you, right? Oceanside over there? 10th yeah, like, yeah, 20 minutes down the road. Nice, man. I, I do like the 10th Planet culture. I like the stuff they're doing there. I met some cool dudes through there. I like some of their some of their stuff. I, I really like locked down a lot of those different principles there. So I, I love going and seeing the different styles and Man, more than anything, it's just so cool to see at this stage, like there was a time that if I was training 20 years ago, or probably even 10 years ago at this point, and, and traveling at the, the way that I was, 
it wouldn't have been okay for me to train at a Gracie place and then go to uh, like an Eddie Bravo place. And yeah. you can't train here because your guy might be fr- And like, now it's I like, I always check with Matt Sarah. I'm like, dude, is it cool if I go here or there? And it's almost all, almost always cool. You know what I mean? And it's just a matter of, he knows that I'm going to present myself and represent his, him and his school well and do the right thing. But it's amazing to be able to share like that. And even if they taught me everything that they know, you know, I'm going to leave there and forget half the stuff anywhere. I'm not going to be able to pull off the stuff that the Rutola brothers are anyway. You know what I mean? At that right. point, it's, it's pretty exciting stuff, but I, I do love that whole thing. And just the, the friends, and like the, like you said, the community and stuff that's translated back and forth from business to real estate. I remember I was out in, uh, I was out in California and actually my buddy, I was just with on Sunday, just fought Flavio in a tournament, like within the last like six months or so, or something like very recently, like I was just watching the video on YouTube, but I was out in California and I was like, I need a place to train and I need to train early. And it's hard sometimes to get guys to wake up at like 5am. So I had a Latos and I was like, Hey, I just need somebody that's going to train early. And she gave me like the menu. She's like, here's all our black belts. And I was like, Jesus, like yeah. all of those guys train there. She was like, yeah. And she's like, here's the price for each one. And I was like, all right, well, like which one's willing to get up and meet me. And she's like, well, JT is literally fighting um, Rory McDonald, like right now at Metamorphosis. She's like, but he'll probably meet you in the morning. So I went and I met him immediately, just got along with the guy, like trained out there as much as I could with him. And then he moved to the East coast, but I've kept in touch with him. Just an awesome guy, awesome gym, awesome culture. Like that spot was really cool. I had to fight night and day to not go to the Jack in the box across the street every time I left that parking lot. But man, it's just, uh, it's pretty amazing. Like, and I, I can't imagine training in a different country and how different that must've been walking in and not knowing like the etiquette of just the weird differences between what's acceptable. What's not, you accidentally piss somebody off. You don't even realize that you did. Right. Was, there, was there a weird, um, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a learning curve to figure out the stuff that was kind of acceptable or not that you were kind of walking on. Yeah. A little bit? yeah, totally. So, you know, the, in, in Okinawa and probably in mainland too, but in Okinawa, they have uh Kabuto cons and that's like, it's basically translated from my understanding, a fight house. And this, and it's where, you know, obviously judo's there, right. They have kendo, which is the, uh, stick fighting. Uh, they have a lot of Aikido there. So we'll go to the Kabutokan and it's like three, four, five levels. You have different martial arts fighting the same day and, and the floor is spring. So you'll have somebody like doing a judo tournament above us. And you, you, all you hear is, <laughs> and it's, you're like, all right, well, hopefully they did their engineering, right? It's not going to crash down, <laughs> but it is so cool. You know, and you see like in you see watch judo matches right like nobody celebrates they kind of do like a little like oh like that well in okinawa i got the we, we were at a tournament and um got this guy in a kimura kimura he rolled over got him into an arm bar submitted him and i came up and i was like Argh! and my professor's like no like you will not do that that is wrong that's disgraceful you're showing and i'm like oh <laughs> my bad i'm sorry you know so then it was you got to get like very uh Who's that? Who's the Russian guy that would beat everybody and then started getting whooped? Um, it was like super nonchalant about it. But whenever he would win, whatever he would win, he would just like beat him in 30 seconds and just be like, you know, like just super non, like zero emotion. So I learned. Oh, Fedor, Fedor. Fedor, thank yeah, you. Yeah, okay, yeah. Fedor, like zero emotion. Like, yeah, I just crushed your face. <laughs> as soon as you did that, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get the mannerism on the person, we'll get him every time. But uh, yeah, so I learned how to learn how to do that. And then the language barrier, right, is um, Professor Ivan, his cousin is, um, you know, he, came, he, was, he grew up in Brazil. 
And so there, I guess there's, I didn't know there's a huge like Japanese uh, community in Brazil. And so he came to Okinawa to start his Ivan um, Sakamoto BJJ. And so him trying to like, we had to like watch the technique because his English is so bad. We're just like, uh, I think that's what he wants to do. And so then you kind of start figuring it out, right? Which obviously helps because then you start trying to figure out where your knee needs to be or how you sit or position or rotate into that stuff because he couldn't explain where his pressure needed to be or how the pressure was being applied if you're on top or, you know, or whatever um, from the technique. So it was super fun in that area. Plus you're with all the other branches and right as a Marine, everybody else sucks. So then you've got all the other guys that are like, oh, you're Marina. Yep, okay, let's go. And then there's lots of, in Brazil, do you speak Portuguese at all? Just like the 10 sentences they gave us when we went over there. Yeah. So one phrase they talk, it's called confetti. I guess that means like, like knuckle up, like go hundred percent, like it's tournament time. And so you would always be like, you know, everybody wants to go confetti, even though you're just doing regular drills. So then when I came back from Okinawa and I went to uh, the schools, they're like, hey man, relax. I'm like, no, this is totally normal. So like what we're normal, like up here, it's not really, you know, you got to kind of racket, racket, ratchet it up a little bit. I'm like, no, that's, that's normal for us. So that, that's been fun to learn how to not soft Americans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now that's also, it's interesting too. I, I trained with a couple of really famous Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys out here in the States. And I remember having an offline conversation with them and he was like, man, when I, when I left, cause he got the champion here now, he's like, but when I left Brazil, the Brazilians were like, you're kidding me, right? You're leaving Brazil to go to the United States to learn jujitsu. Like it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And he was explaining to me, like you said, he's like, dude, when we're there, they'll show it like a, a technique for 30 seconds. People drill it half ass for 10 minutes and they go, all right, let's just start rolling. And then they just roll like hundred percent for like a couple hours. And he was like, over here, you're getting guys that are backing off of like the hard rolling for a little bit. And they're really dissecting the technical aspects of the move. He's like, so you're learning a lot more of the technicalities and the intricacies of things versus there you're just getting like tough, you know, yeah. and I was like, Oh, it's kind of interesting to think about like that. You know? Well, didn't Gordon have a really good comment? Like he was on post on social media that you see all these techniques that everybody's posting. And he's like, stop doing techniques with zero resistance. Of course, every technique works when there's nobody applying resistance to it. And I'm like, Oh yeah, like that's totally true. All the techniques are awesome. When everybody's just laying there. <laughs> <laughs> getting manipulated right so that's it's you you have to do the drill right specific training is huge right like do do your uh, bull in the ring with like hey you're going to be in the guard for six minutes or 10 minutes or whatever right and you get all the different people running through and be like okay what works how can i apply this how do i what guy can i muscle over to get the technique right because i can and then what do i have to legitimately do the technique properly on to be able to execute so I think there's, I don't like going hundred percent all the time, maybe because I'm approaching some type of age. I don't like, <laughs> but, uh, you know, specific training I'm down for, I enjoy it. I get, I get more fulfillment of the art and, uh, the, uh, technique I should say. I'm, I'm learning a lot more of that now. People have suggested it over the years. I know Jason Rao, Gary Toner over like, man, positional training, positional training, but <clears throat> the, I was out there with Alberto Crane not that long ago in Pasadena. And we, we went from like, he was doing a, uh, a knee cut pass and we were doing like something where like you would kind of grab with both hands and then take like a, an underhook and he would have to try and pass. And I would either have to bump and then try and take the back or bump him forward and go into like a deep half position, which we were trying to work on. And normally I would, I would see that. I would use that. We just roll for like 30, 40 minutes. And then I'd go home. I'd probably attempt a deep half a couple of times during a couple of rolls a month later 
it really wouldn't work. And then I'd be like, this doesn't work. Yeah. But it was like, nope, we're going to work from this. And this is the only thing you're going to go for for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And I started getting into it. And then I was like, oh, wow. I'm like, just leaving there and realizing like, oh, I don't have to go try this for two months and then come back and tell him how it works for me. We can do that right here. It just, it clicked for me that I was like, oh, yeah. So like everything I do now, I'm like, whatever we're doing, like, we're going to go live from that for like a half hour today. And we're just going to figure out like if this works for you and how this works for you. And I think it's really going to change my game in a huge way. Yeah. And I think that too many people, especially um, teaching white belts or uh, teaching fundamental courses, right? White belts think that when you do a technique, when you do, and you start with specific training, like for example, we were doing uh, like how to use inside butterfly hooks when somebody goes from side control and they try to mount and how to be able to get a good knee elbow connection to be able to use and lift them and use butterfly hooks. Right. Which is super like normal. Like we do it all the time. Right. Like just how to create that, um, make their, their base light so you can manipulate them. And so we're doing specific training. I'm like, when you get mount, if like top guy gets mount from side control, stop and reset. But in their mind, they're like, no, I got to keep going. Like, no, you're missing the entire point of that specific training of learning how to get the timing. And, and because when they go to mount, right, their, their, their weight is in the knee, the knee comes across and eventually that knee has to transition and pick up the other weight. And that's when the inside knee elbow connection can come and either get the inside hook or you pick up the first leg, the outside hook as the leg comes across, like whatever you want to do. Right. But you have to feel that. And if you're so worried about trying to like beat him during the sparring event and not the specific training, you're missing the entire point of even doing the technique. I love that, man. That's so well said. Excuse me. The last thing I wanted to ask you about was coming from a military background, you know, I'm seeing some of my guys now, especially the jujitsu and I see them doing things like going on rescue missions in the Ukraine and stuff like that. And I can't tell if part of it is just almost like the, the fighters that they go like, you know, Faber's going to retire. And then two years later, like, ah, oh, it's my 42nd birthday. I need a fist fight. Is there something to be said? And maybe jujitsu I'm just looking at because it's something that I know well, but for you, are you seeing that when guys retire from something like military life and they still need some sort of like combat or alpha thing or something to get the aggression out are you finding that jujitsu has become a really good place for that or are there other things that you're seeing that serve a very similar purpose for letting them feel like they still are able to get that side of them out without actually having to go try and rejoin or do something crazy like fly across the world and try and jump into some battle now that's a great that's a great question i think that that if you are not pursuing yourself and it doesn't, it could be military, it could be business executives, it could be anything, right? I mean, and I answer that question as an, as an example, look at SealFit. SealFit is a great way for, I, I think that it's designed for average Joes who just want to fight club, right? Like all these guys that don't feel they have a purpose. They're just like, I'm meeting the status quo. I'm just going here. I'm in the hum- humdrum. Being in the military is something greater than me. And I think that any human, any man in this toxic masculinity or man, woman, executive, like all of this stuff that we try to create on the polarization of the sexes, our history says that we do man things, (laughs) right? Period. And that means that we are contributing ourselves and our manhood to the greater good of something, whether it's the village, it's the community, it's the Marine Corps, it's jujitsu. And I think that any time that a man loses that, all the politics, all the, the agendas, all of that stuff aside, when a man at his core doesn't have something that he's living for, 
and something that is he is applying his talents and abilities for the greater good. And of course, he's going to feel that way. He's going to run off to the farthest edges of the universe to help fulfill that somewhere. And if that's the case, hey, good on you. But I don't need to travel to the Ukraine to have Russians shoot at me when I know that I can impact somebody who's never done jiu-jitsu in his first match or it's his first class at Gracie Baja or teach a neighbor who does never learn how to surf or had a near drowning three years ago, but now they're catching five foot waves. Like I make it a point in my life to fulfill myself and the greater good by just being observant and looking around me so that I can always find something that I can use my talents and abilities toward. I love that, man. I don't think that there's a better note to end on that where you just said once again, this is why you, sir, need like a video blog every day because I think you're very articulate, man. I very much appreciated you giving me your time, being flexible with me and my annoying schedule stuff, man. It's been awesome. What's going on with you? How do people find you? How do people connect with you? How can how can people figure out all things that are happening with Travis Hill? Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram, Travis at Travis1310, uh, Travis Hill1310. You can email me, Travis at ValkyrieGroup.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, Travis Hill. And uh, yeah, just reach out. I'm happy to, always happy to talk, happy to talk about jujitsu, talk about freaking real estate. Um, I just enjoy talking. I, I, I firmly convinced that what's the Jim Rohn quote, right? Like if you if you help other people, you're always going to get what you want. And I 100% agree with that because uh, I just want to have an abundant mindset. And my mantra is your success is my happiness. So let's connect. Dude, that's awesome. And uh, I'm very appreciative that I ran into you at Bill Allen's event. And two of the names you mentioned, Adam Whitney and David Perret, immediately became two of my favorite people. So you're surrounded with good company, man. I, you know, it wasn't an accident that I sat behind you at that event and didn't even know that you were cool with David Prey. And we wound up touching base, man, and having all these parallels. I feel like I've learned a lot about you. I definitely connect with you. And I feel like I made a friend, man. So I very much appreciate spending this time with you. And I definitely hope I get to hang out with you sometime soon when I get out to California. Whenever you come out to New York, Chicago, any of the places over here, man, drinks and jujitsu on me, my friend. Any final thoughts before I let you go? No, man, I just... I I kudos and thank you for what you're doing on your podcast and how you're spreading the joy of jujitsu, not only through your podcast, but your ability to be able to travel. Thank you so much for having me here. And I feel the same way of everything you just said, man. So you got a place to live and, uh, you know, the, the West coast has got a spot for you whenever you get out here, man. Likewise, my good man. Well, Travis Hill, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your service. Thank you for your time. You've brought your A game to everything you've done in life. This has been no different. Have a great day, ladies and gentlemen. You're so what's it?